Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about unretirement. Doesn't that sound like fun? I love that word. Love Me it. Me too. <laughs> Let's dive in right away. Like the the uh, probably a good place to kick it off is uh, in our interview with Blair Enns. He mentioned that in he has this technique where he talks about this fanciful world called Blairtopia, and there are certain commandments or or you know must haves in Blairtopia. And I think his number one uh, commandment is "Thou shalt not retire or ever sell your business." And and when I first saw him talk about this, I was like, you know what? That's funny because he's sort of articulating a subconscious or like a, a decision that I didn't consciously make, but was obviously true to me, which was that I really have no desire or plan for retirement. And I think it sounds horrible. You know, like re- the concept <laughs> of retirement to me sounds like the worst. Yeah. What would you do all day? I know. I would do what I do already. Like I love my job. <laughs> so I don't know. I, and it's funny because when he Put, when he said it out loud, I was like, all right, not everybody makes that same decision that I've sort of subconsciously made or unconsciously made. And whenever somebody, you know, would ask like, but, you know, what's your exit or how do you retire? And, and I'm like, I, I wouldn't, I don't even want to go on vacation, honestly. <laughs> so, well, that's a whole nother problem, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, I don't think it's a workaholic thing. I, I don't work like crazy. I just like, I get bored of not doing this. I don't know. I think I'm in a lucky position where I, I, I've sought out something that I really love doing mm-hmm. and don't want to stop doing it. It doesn't, it feels a lot different than, you know, back when I built by the hour years and years ago, and I was working 80 hour, 80 hour weeks uh-huh. to make money. It's not like that at all. It's completely different. It's extremely fulfilling. And when I'm not doing it, I, you know, that starts to seep away. So, you know, so it was wild when I saw him articulate that and it's just like, oh, yeah, that that is good because it totally changes how you operate, Mm -hmm. especially as you near what would be considered retirement age, which perhaps I am. (laughs) So what's your take on it? How do you feel about the concept of retirement? Well, personally, I think the concept of traditional retirement is dead. Um, you know, for those of us still working, you know, it's dead. And and it's dead for, I think, maybe a few reasons. And one is that we've kind of transitioned this idea that we have a job and, you know, we work like dogs. And, and especially when you're in, you know, consulting and you're working a million hours a week or you're on an airplane all the time. And then, and you, you know, you kind of can't wait to retire so you can do what? Nothing, right? Sleep in. Um, but what's happened is is we've moved, not just consultants, but everybody. We've moved from having this secure job where we work till 65 and then we retire. It, it's We're not like that. We have these, uh, we have work now instead of a job. We have work. And mm-hmm. I think especially for a lot of the listeners here and, and for you and I, is we've created for ourselves something that we really love to do. And it's it's not it's not separate. You know what I mean? It's, it's mm. all attached. It's all part of one thing. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because another thing I, I did, which shocks people when I tell them, but when I first started my business in 2006, I consciously decided to have one email address and one calendar and, you know, not a home and, you know, home and work or work and personal calendar. I have one calendar and, you know, I, because I've got, I've got 
you know, I only have one, one life. life. Like there's, <laughs> there's one, if I make a commitment, whether it's to my wife or kids or clients, it's got to go come out of that same week, you know? So I didn't see the point of keeping my calendar separate. In fact, I found it, it would be more confusing. So, and that blows people's minds. They're like, how can you, how can you shut off? How can you do that? And I'm like, I don't go on and off like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just weird, but I see this in more and more of my entrepreneurial minded friends where they just, they have what I think we would all consider really high quality of life, really good work-life balance. They do all sorts of fun, exciting things. And, you know, but they don't, they don't just punch in at nine and punch out at five. Well, it's interesting because if if I understand the generations correctly, what you're describing is actually a millennial mindset. You know, you have one life and you work in and out of it. And I think, um, you know, those of us who are more entrepreneurial minded are that way naturally. And then there's a whole generation coming up, you know, behind us that just naturally look at life that way versus that that's those segregated pods of, of life. And, you know, it's funny, I was thinking back when I um, worked with a bunch of women who were all moms in the company I started a number of years ago. And what was fascinating to me is they all work that way. They were all completely integrated. And, you know, I would ask them about it and they'd say, you know, it's the only way I can do this because they had work, uh, they had kids they had a husband and so, and they had a life and, you know, some of them volunteered, they did a lot of things and that was the only way they could do it. It was just natural to integrate it all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's just one thing in, in what Blair said that, that I don't necessarily agree with, although I, I understand why it's true for him is thou shalt not sell your business. Um, sounds like you've, you've said in your head, no, I've made a conscious decision not to sell my business. That's true. And I, but to me, I don't think that's, I don't think selling your business is something that is dead. You know, like we said, you said, and I agree that the concept, traditional concept of retirement just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I do, obviously the, tr- the concept of selling your business does exist is just not for me. It, it feels like the approach to doing that. And I've only worked in, I've worked inside of two startups for a long period of time as a, you know, as a consultant but, but really embedded inside. And, and one was bootstrapped and one was VC. And the types of decisions, especially in the VC one, the types of decisions that you make sicken me. <laughs> the, it just, I can't, it, it's like, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It just sickens me. Like, I can't do it. I can't go to the, my customers and be, you know, all like unicorns and rainbows and this is going to be great meanwhile behind the scenes i can't wait to sell them to someone it just grosses me Mm -hmm. out so i i can't do it. it's just not for me not my cup Mm -hmm. of tea well now if somebody came along and was like i still couldn't do it like my business is my business now is not sellable on purpose i mean it's not that it's not that i purposely set out to make it not sellable i just didn't make any of the decisions that i i would have had to to turn it into like this disconnected from my personality or my personal brand or whatever you want to call it. Right. It's me. It's not. It's you. It's totally you. Yeah. In my own case, 
I'm not interested in selling my business. And I, I'm with you. I don't think my business is saleable either. I also joke I'm not employable either. I've been running my own thing for so long. I don't think I could work for anybody else. Um, but the the question of being able to sell is something I think is a really strategic one that you answer, you ask and answer in the early stages of your business. And you may change your mind as you go along. Um you know, the first business I started, it wasn't that I had the idea that we would sell it, but it was there in the back of my mind that I was creating a saleable asset. But our number one goal was we wanted to enjoy what we were doing. So we didn't cut those corners. I mean, we were so true to ourselves. It was ridiculous. It was, and it was fun. It was so much fun, but it wasn't fun when you're in a, a bigger firm where, uh, you're trying to make decisions. It's almost like you're trying to please shareholders versus your clients. And that's kind of, I think that's a lose-lose. You know, when you're a consultant, your first duty is to your clients, not to your shareholders. Yes, it's exactly it. That that you don't, you're serving two masters. And it's, I just never, I, I just wouldn't feel like I could do a good job there. I, I've seen it enough, not, you know, in addition to my experience, I've coached dozens, probably more than that of of folks who work inside startups in Silicon Valley. And it's the same story. Like the, the CEO's all raw, raw passion, blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh, Google bought all our clients basically. And it's yeah. like, all right, like that's, but as long, I, I suppose it's fine as long as you understand that that's what you're doing and you set out to do so, but yes. fine. It's not my thing, but it's uh, the reason Blair was, I think he has a little bit different reason for being against it, but his, his, issue with the retirement and he lumps the sale thing into it too. And he's specifically talking to principals of design firms. The, the problem with it is it allows you to put off making hard decisions. So as you get closer and closer to that done date, you know, you've got, as he puts it, you've got one eye on the exit, you start pushing off the challenging decisions. You stop doing risky stuff. You stop mm -hmm. doing uh, things that are well, I was going to say strategic, but it's risky. Like you stop taking risks. Mm -hmm. And I see this, I see this in businesses that I consult all the time. If you're dealing with somebody who's, who is in a traditional industry, I'm thinking credit unions and they're getting ready to retire. They, the last thing they're going to do is take a risk. Right. And certainly not a big one. Right. It would be indefensible. So, you know, I, anyway, we can, we can probably agree that Selling the business thing, we probably disagree with Blair uh, in general. But the retirement thing is, I think it's slightly different. It mm -hmm. reminds, you know what it reminds me of is sort of like, like organized religion. Like do, do, you know, suffer now for your reward later. And yes. I'm like, I'm like, I have an idea. How about I just get my reward now? <laughs> I'm going to eat dessert <laughs> first. Well, you get it in, in your monetary, you get your monetary re reward as you go, but you get your psychic rewards immediately, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, when he said on retirement in, in our interview with him, this light bulb went off for me. Um, I'd not, surprisingly, I'd never heard the word, um, but I, it's like immediately you, you kind of know what it means. And it felt, it, it just felt like it made such sense because I know in my own client base, I have people who are like you and I, where it's it's about a big idea. We've created a, a, a personal or and sometimes personality-based business around it. And selling really isn't, you know, something that you're trying to do. And then I've worked with other people who are very consciously trying to grow a company. They want to grow an asset. 
and they want to take risks um, up to a point. <laughs> but sure. but his his point's exactly right. Is the closer somebody gets to their exit, the fewer risks they're taking. I mean, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. thinking of a woman I met. She's not a client, but she was telling me about her plan, and she had a five year plan, and she was, I think, fifty eight. And she said, I think I've got five years left in me. And she laid out this, you know, pretty detailed, um, risky for her plan on what she was doing next. But she was doing it all because she wanted to be able to sell that business in five years. And, you know, and we had this conversation that was a little uncomfortable because I said, well, what happens if the market isn't where you want to be in five years? Is this going to be saleable? What happens if the area you're consulting on switches in a direction that you're not expecting, which it had done just, you know, five or six years before that? And so we started talking through it and I could sort of see her start to wilt a little bit. And I said, but but here's the thing, you know, she was brilliant at what she does. And I said, maybe the way to think about this is that the five-year timeline is, is loose. You know, it's, it's loose. <laughs> it's tough these days to pin anything down to, to five years. And if she put all of her eggs in that basket, uh, that feels riskier to me than just rolling with it and growing your, you know, growing your business organically and, and strategically. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and I think I think there's a an interesting point, which is I don't do straight up consulting all the time. In fact, it's less and less of my business, and more and more of the things that I derive income from are low touch. Let's say not completely automated, but they're things that I can leverage, things that do scale up. So it's not like uh, I do picture a future where my income is continues to increase perhaps in a faster than linear way that uh, allows me more of what Alan Weiss would call true wealth, which is uh, discretionary time. Mm-hmm. So you know, I can always make another dollar, but I can't make another hour. Right. So I've, I'm starting to feel like as we talk through this, that the retirement mentality, if you want to call it that, is, a, is based on the presumption that what you do every day is toil you know, yeah. and yeah. that it's like, um, you know, oh, I'm going to do hard work now and it'll pay off later. And it's like hard equating hard work with suffering. It's like, well, mm-hmm. I feel like what I do is hard in the sense that someone can't just snap their figures and replicate it, but it doesn't feel like suffering as I'm doing it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Diligence and dedication and all of that stuff. And I, I think it's hard in the sense that it takes time and, you know, you and focus and you need to have some discipline and all of that stuff, but it's not hard, like digging ditches, right? Right. you know, where like, Oh, okay. And in, in, you know, 15 years of whatever, you know, like working on a printing press, I can finally retire and go to Florida or something. I, you know, I don't know, but it's different. It's a, yeah. I go back to, I think it's a mindset. I mean, I think that the, when you wrap your, your mind around how the, this works, it changes how you look at everything. I, I I know I talked to you offline, Jonathan, now I'm forgetting if we discussed it on the podcast, but I have a pair of clients who are in their 70s. And mm-hmm. you know, they approached me when they were in their 60s. And they said, gee, you know, they just published their second book, we think we have this idea for a little business. And so I helped them create that. And they weren't really looking to make a lot of money from the business, but they'd made quite a bit. 
And mm-hmm. here they are, you know, they, they said, oh, we're done publishing books, but they, they published another one and they're getting ready to publish another one next year. And here they are mid seventies. Um, one of them trots around the globe at least a couple times a year on a big trip with his wife. And, you know, that's, she's basically said, you can work as long as you want, but we have to keep doing these bucket list trips. You know, you keep me happy. You can keep working. And, and he started a not-for-profit uh, it was near and dear to his heart with a bunch of his friends, one, one of the partners. The other one spends part of the year, half of the year, um, uh, in another country. And they're, they're happy. Uh, you never hear them talk about the end game because there isn't one. So what you just described, I know 30-year-olds that have that same life. Because it's like so doable now with the concept of, you know, it's, I suppose it's all tied together with being able to work remotely from pretty much anywhere and, and Airbnb is making it so easy to just, I'm just going to go to Costa Rica during the allergy season where I live. You know, it's like, okay, just bring my laptop <laughs> and make sure there's an internet connection there. Well, and you design your life that way because it's a mindset. Yeah, it really, I really think it is. Well, you know how, you know, you hear a word and you start thinking about it and all of a sudden you see examples everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about about this podcast uh, over the last couple of days. And so I found two articles in the New York Times and one I thought was fascinating. So the, um, you know, the hotel hotels that have these big atriums, like the Hyatt hotels. Mm-hmm. So the architect that started all of that, I think it was in the sixties, he just passed away and he was 93. He never retired. He, he promised his wife he would stop working on Sundays. So he still works six days a week. I mean, he's going into the office in his nineties, six days a week. And he co-wrote some books. He painted, he sculpted, he designed furniture, and he died with his boots on at 93, uh, by all intents and purposes, happy as a clam. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's like, he's he's my hero. Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, literally a day after that, it was, these were both in the New York Times. They had a, a, a series in the, in the Times about um, being happy uh, over uh, I think it was 85. So this guy interviewed, profiled a bunch of people over 85. And one of them is is this filmmaker. His name is Jonas Meckes. And he's 95. And he's still working. He travels a little bit less. But I, the part I just loved is he's looking for a, a new, he lives in Brooklyn. And he's looking for a new pad because his loft had gotten too expensive. And so the reporter was saying, well, gee, aren't you worried, you know, at your age about moving? And he said, you know, listen, he said, I've done a lot of things in my life, you know, moving, you know, to another apartment is no big deal. And so, and, and he, so he's 95, he just finished one book. He's got, I think five or six, he said, that are almost ready. And he's working on some film projects. 95. Yeah. I just want to stress that this is not the same thing as workaholic, like workaholic. Yeah. I've seen that. It's, it's not the same thing. Like, and I suppose it comes down to, I mean, it's totally subjective, but as I look at how I spend my time, I'm doing more like leisure stuff now, like that stuff that is demonstrably not work, like, you know, three hours of karate a week and going to the the gym with a personal trainer twice a week for an hour each time and, you know, getting massages and like doing all this stuff that, that I, you know, I, in, even in 2012, I wasn't doing this. It, it's not like, uh, just, just work, 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 you know, and, and PS, you know, two kids potty training, one of them, <laughs> it's like, you know, 
like I, I, I really don't want to give the impression that this is like, I, I've worked much, much air quotes harder in the past than I do now. I'm working way smarter now, which leads to another point that I, I think is important to make, uh, which is, if it, you know, if you build stone walls for a living, this is probably hard to not retire. Mm-hmm. You know, something that's physically demanding in that way, you're just going to beat yourself into the ground. But when people are now living into their 90s, what are the things I want to, I'm trying not to say get smarter, but like, like as you get, um, I, I do consciously focus on doing things that aren't going to degrade over time, if that makes sense. Mm. So like, I'm super into martial arts, but there is no way my third act or fourth act is going to be running karate school. No. Is it just no way? <laughs> Give that up right now. <laughs> right. It's going to be some kind of knowledge work, some sharing some kind of insight, some kind of service to others. And it's going to keep, it's going to be more and more and more like that the older I get. I, I can't imagine it going in another direction. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to suddenly become like a free climber <laughs> or something. So I suppose that that it's true, you know, if someone listening to this, I suppose I assume anyone listening to this is going to be an idea person. And I think that that sort of creative output is perhaps a precondition for this kind, this kind of unretirement concept, because it never has to degrade. It doesn't necessarily have to degrade, assuming you keep your faculties and whatnot. But but is that does that it seems kind of important to point out. Yeah, I think that resonates. I'm not talking about football players. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, or something where other people have to choose you. You know, I'm thinking there's there are professions like acting where it's it's no. it's you know there's certainly roles for people over a certain age, but they're few and far between. Um, the ad business, to some extent, has become a young person's business. Where what, and I'm talking about when you have to have someone hire you. You know, they have to choose you versus you're you're running your own firm and you're working with clients who appreciate you. It's different than somebody giving you a job. I think, yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing too is sometimes um, I, I just like to look to people who are artists because those are sometimes the easiest examples of people who live well into their 90s and are productive and happy human beings. Um, yes. You know, sculptors, painters, um, they've spent their whole lives typically integrating their life and their work, and they don't know how to do it any other way. Yeah, I think those are some some good examples of people to, to look at. And, and we, we all, if we don't have them in our own lives, then there are people out there that we can look at, working artists who embody that kind of spirit and, and adventure. Yeah, Seth Godin talks about, you know, doing your art. And I found that a little bit over the top when I first read it. But, but you know, like, I don't feel like I'm doing art, you know what I mean? But, but the more you think about it, the more it's the best word for that act of creation. And it kind of elevates it, I think. It's a great word. Like, after I got, after I got over the, like, come on, Seth, <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's not all art, um, but it, it really, there really isn't a better word for it. So I think that's a great insight to uh, imagine uh, sort of emulating someone you know or someone that you look up to that's, that's an older artist who's managed to make it that far, spreading their art or sharing their art or creating it at least. Yeah, it's, you know, it's work like an artist. 
maybe is, you know, I think of um, Stephen Pressfield's um, book and he talks about in the war of art, he talks about entrepreneurs be, being artists. And you mm-hmm. know, when I read that, you know, I ding, 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 ding. I, it just, it just hit me because he talked about the traditional artists and especially writing because he's talking about blocks that get in the way and fear. Um, but when you think of being an entrepreneur and, and we all are, I mean, that really is a form of art. It's just our form of art. Nice. Well, let's see. I feel like we've, uh, have we made our point? I feel like we have. (laughs) I I think we have. And we could go through, you know, 50 more examples of people we admire, but I I think we kind of made the point. Cool. Well, all right, folks, that's it for today. I hope you join us again next week for the Business of Authority.